The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things in the state of Minnesota. Um, If you ever know someone or have a story that you think would be good for us to tell, please give us a shout. You can find us on Facebook at Makers of MN, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are at all of the above, and you can reach me personally at S. Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N at HBI.com. And I'm really excited today. I'm here with Lee Wallace. Hello, Lee. Hi, Stephanie. Lee is the uh, CEO of Peace Coffee. And I have so many questions about coffee, Lee. Number one, I love it. So thank you for having your wonderful coffee company right in our midst. Um, I want to know, like, okay, because I know that Peace Coffee is better coffee and that it's doing good things for the people and the farmers, but what is like fair trade coffee? What does that actually mean? Ah, good question. Because I don't think people know. Like right. they know they're supposed to buy it, but they don't really know. Right. Well, and I, I think the coffee industry's come far, a long way from where it was when I first started. So yeah. I started in the coffee industry in 2006. And people, you know, and even when Peace Coffee started back in 1996, nobody was talking about coffee farmers. Nobody knew where coffee no, came we from. we were drinking Folgers out of a can. Right. Chock full of nuts or Maxwell House or yep. whatever. And the only coffee farmer anybody knew about was Juan Valdez, right? The the iconic Colombian <laughs> yes. coffee farmer. And, um, you know, we've come a long way. Now people are talking about, about, you know, farmers and prices and how much you're paying for coffee. But yeah, I still think it's a really confusing topic for, for consumers. Um, and it's a complicated topic. Um, but, you know, what fair trade is about at its heart is about buying from small scale coffee farmers. Small scale coffee farmers produce more than half of the world's coffee. So these are people tending very, very small plots of land. Which is like amazing for the family, but probably hard to create like a growing concern off of all these individual people on these small plots of land. Exactly. So it's really hard to get enough coffee to actually sell in a meaningful quantity to a buyer. Yep. So if you have a very small farm and shipping containers hold 40,000 pounds of coffee, well, it's going to take the combined production, a lot of these farms to, to satisfy the buying needs of someone like Peace Coffee. Sure. So what we're trying to do is we're working on a solution for a problem that's pretty big, right? We're trying to provide a better standard of living for these small scale coffee farmers. Then there's some other details. There's things like price. There's a minimum price that we pay for our coffee because we recognize Minnesota's a farm state. People here know a lot about farming. Yep. If you're a farmer, you can't sell your coffee or your beets or your potatoes for less than it costs you to actually grow that product. So fair trade takes that into consideration. And then in addition, we're working on the ground in coffee growing communities. And that's a really strong part of Peace Coffee's model um, to really understand how we can participate in helping to improve things in the communities themselves or more accurately, how to empower the community to actually make the changes that they want to make to improve the quality of life for everybody. So I have this really naive utopian in my mind where it's like all these beautiful families and their multi-generational plantations of coffee 
that aren't like super large scale, but they've been doing this for some time and maybe their neighbors are doing it. Like, how do you do you literally go and like meet these individual people? Are there regions that you say, hey, we're going to buy from this region and they collectively get together and put their products together? So a really key part to uh, fair trade is that we're working with cooperatives. So the farmers come together and basically form an association. The the farmers get a vote. They're members of these co-ops. Okay. Um, and so we're buying from those co-ops. And those co-ops are very sophisticated businesses in and of themselves. Like they have for cheese and dairy. Exactly. And there's co-ops right. for all sorts of grain products. Yep. And, okay. Yes. It's very similar to that model. So the farmers are delivering their products to the co-op. The co-op is then marketing that product to coffee buyers like Peace Coffee. And then we're in constant communication with that co-op about how the crop's going, how the year looks, when they'll be shipping coffee, things like that. So this is a very big, sophisticated international business. Okay, so let's go back to the original. So I realize that you personally did not start Peace Coffee, but did it originally start in someone's basement as sort of a project at a nonprofit? Yes, that is a true story. So tell me about that. So uh, the nonprofit is called the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm going to shorten that and call it IATP from now on. Okay. But that's a Minneapolis-based nonprofit, and they were formed out of the family farm crisis that happened in 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 the Upper Midwest in the in the mid '80s. And um, as they moved on and um, they they continued on with their work, they expanded their mission to include farmers around the world. Yeah, because they probably did the, what they needed to do in the '80s. Farmers got on a better footing, and they were probably looking for more customers. They they were looking for other ways that they could start to think about how to influence policy to make things sure. better for farmers. So in the 90s, they were talking to coffee farmers from Mexico and saying, what can we do? You know, how can we help you with policy? And the farmers kept saying, policy is so abstract when you need to figure out how to feed your family or send your kids to yeah. school. So what we really need is markets. And Peace Coffee was really born out of that conversation around nobody thinks about who grows coffee. Nobody nope. thinks about how much they're getting paid. You know, let's bring some coffee in. And begin this conversation with consumers around, hey, do you know where this product came from? And we were one of the first companies in the United States to do that. That's why I'm interested in you. And that's why you're here today, because I do think that that was a really unique business model. And it did start here. And was it just, I mean, obviously, people interested in being able to create a sustainable product. What was it about coffee and this market that made that go? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was just happenstance that, yeah, that they brought coffee in, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that I know. I think people think that that's not a very inspiring business story, but a lot of times that's how businesses get started. It's Be- luck. Yeah, it and is. Being in it the right is. place at the right it's time. It's in being in the right place at the right time and having the right idea and, and managing to put it all together and then managing to hold it together, right? Um, but yeah, it was just this, this one conversation that happened with these coffee farmers and they said, okay, we're going to start with coffee. And originally they did. They didn't even know they were going to end with coffee. They thought, we'll try it with coffee. Maybe we'll move on to other products. Yeah. That never happened. What they ended up doing was accidentally starting this consumer brand that really took off. Um, and, and, and the vision always was, you know, how, how can we begin to elevate 
the profile of people who are working in these other countries around the world that people don't think about. Now, why did it why did it work? Why did it take off? Yeah. Like who was there like just a talented group of individuals that yeah. sold it and bought into it and made it happen? Yeah. Well, I think it's it's a combination of things. There's always been really great people who worked at Peace Coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a, a mission and a purpose and, um, you know, a, a sense of excitement for the results of your work, that that really shows in yeah. terms of how people lean into the work that they're doing and how people dedicate themselves. So always been lucky. And I think the company's always been lucky to just have incredibly passionate, talented um, people working and willing to contribute all of their best efforts. Um, I also think it's it's this place. You know, I think there's something about Minnesota and there's something about our food co-ops mm-hmm. in this state and yeah, in the upper Midwest. Sure. So, you know, when we were first doing this, one of the really early parts of our model was was we delivered the coffee by bicycle. Right. And and that's that's still going strong. We're still delivering. Almost, I was going to ask you about yeah, that in a little bit. Yeah, that we're still doing that. Um, and that was mainly because we didn't have any money to buy a van. And there were a group of employees who were dedicated cyclists and people just started doing bike delivery. Um, and, you know, a lot of conventional grocery stores at the time never would have, you know, had a bike delivery person show up to stock their shelves. And it probably was just different enough that it created intrigue. You know, we've got these. We're lucky to have such a robust co-op community. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you came and knocked on my door and someone was delivering coffee by bike and I was a co-op. I think I'd stock you. Yeah, absolutely. The, the co-ops were our first, you know, Customers that really embraced us and then it's just kind of grown from there. But I think, you know, that is such an asset to food entrepreneurs in this community, those those food co-ops. And frankly, now a lot of the specialty grocers, too, are really good at looking for local products and bringing them in. But we, we were lucky that way. So the original one of the original models I read was pedal, not petrol. Yes. Obviously, you guys have expanded and grown and you're all over the country now in terms of people's ability to buy coffee. Yep. And so you have a did when you like had to make that shift to the biodiesel van. I bet that was like, wow, we can't just get any old truck here to start delivering. We have to deliver on this model. Right. Yeah, we did. We did. Um. We were very dedicated to biodiesel. Um, Did you have to get like one of those Willie Nelson vans that are like powered by (laughs) corn oil from a a McDonald's factory? Do you know about that? Yeah. Well, there there was um, a period of time where there was a biodiesel shed and people had a biodiesel project. And then there was luckily biodiesel became available in gas stations uh, and and more readily available to us. But yes. Um, that first van was a diesel van and people were really excited to, to power it with biodiesel. And it was just part of how you continue to, to participate in conversations around what is the world we all want to see and how are we participating, kind of staying on the leading edge of as a socially responsible company. I, I have to ask you, because this all like in theory sounds really good yeah. and you guys have been very successful with it, but at at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, the consumer's standing there and they're going to make a price decision based on how much it costs. You're in a very competitive environment. We have Caribou Coffee right here. We've got Starbucks, obviously, that took the world by storm. Yet you still are growing this company and able to do it. And in fact, you purchased the company I yourself. Did. I did. Yeah. So that happened. Was it this year that you purchased? It, it was uh a month, like literally May 1st. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. so on yeah, it. Yeah. A month ago. Mm-hmm. I can say like I was one of the first people to talk to you about purchasing the company. What, in light of all those obstacles, what is it that made you decide like, wow, 
I've been here since 2006. This is a place I want to put my future in. Yeah. I have always loved how complicated what we do is. If we were selling um, something that wasn't as complicated, I think I would have gotten bored. What were you like in like, did you go, what were you like in high school and in college? Were you kind of an accounting nerd or what no, was your? No, Oh my goodness. <laughs> People always say, how did I end up here? And that, yeah. um, I was an anthropology major Wow. and I thought I was going to be a documentary filmmaker. Okay. Um, but I've always been interested in, in the thinking story. globally yeah. and what's the story and thinking about cultures and thinking about all that stuff. Um, and then I actually have a master's degree in public policy. I don't have a master's degree in business. And that's because I was always really interested in where mission and money meet. So that's how I got to where I am today. I was always interested in how you can combine business and mission, make money, but do the right thing. And like Peace Coffee, I was kind of ahead of my time. Nobody was talking about that when I went and got my master's degree. So I got told I wasn't a business student and told I was a public policy student. So I, I uh, went to public policy school and then um, just kept finding different jobs where I got to combine these two passions. And I was working for myself when I originally got approached by IETP, the then owners of Peace Coffee. And they said, yep. you know, will you, will you come and help us? We own this company. Um, we need someone to kind of go in and do an assessment and help us understand it was, it was very small at the time, you know, what, why we own it and what we should do with it right. was, was basically the assignment. So, um, yeah, I, w- I was always um, interested in and and um, concerned with um, having a career where I really felt like I was leaving a mark and doing a good thing. Um, and that just I loved that about Peace Coffee from day one. It seems like you're the perfect person. Like it just hits on all of the cylinders of things that are important to you. And as we've matured in our wanting to do work that does good and feels good and is good, people have started to do these B Corps. Yeah. And yeah. you guys are a B Corp, yeah, right? And yeah. I, for our listeners that don't know what that means, could you explain? Sure. Yes. And I, this is the, this is something I'm really excited about for the future. Um, I think it's a really good tool for consumers. People ask me all the time, Oh, there's all these certifications. How do I sort it out? There's, you know, handshake coffee and partnership coffee. I mean, I'm making these names yeah. up, but, but yep. there's, there's all these different, um, you know, just the proliferation of certifications has become problematic for consumers. Yeah, and in the whole organic and yeah. natural and yeah. Yes. How do you sort all this out? Well, B Corporation movement is a movement of businesses that are focused on using their business as a force for good. Um, it's a really high bar certification and it looks at absolutely every aspect of your business. So it looks at your value chain and how you're how you're operating in other countries if you're sourcing products from other countries or how you're buying things from vendors and how, you, how which vendors you prioritize all the way through to your operations, so the environmental impact of our coffee roasting facility, what we're doing, how we're how we're measuring our environmental footprint, um, and then all the way to how do you treat your employees and your it customers. It does look at that. Oh, that's so interesting. It's absolutely, the entire scope of your business, and then you take the assessment. You have to hit a minimum score to get um, the 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 be able to use the logo and get the certification. Yep. And then you have to retake the assessment every two years, but they raise the bar on you. So they force you to continue to make improvement really? in your operations. You can't just keep you going can't just at coast. your status no, quo. No, you can't just coast. And it's it, it's wonderful as an entrepreneur and now business owner to have this tool because the tool actually helps you prioritize where you're going to make improvements. So you can look at the tool and you can say, well, 
you know, I scored zero here, but it's a really great idea. One example would be we're moving to way more financial transparency with our staff. So we're going to... Which is really interesting, Right. And that was something we weren't doing very well, and it was kind of always on the list, and it helped me understand how important that is. So we're we're switching over and providing a lot more financial information to everybody who works for the company. That's a big project, and it's going to take some time. And the benefit... benefit of that would be what in your estimation? Um, The benefit of that would be that they really understand the business more. I mean, people are really attached to our mission. People are really attached to the impact that we have. And we frequently would only talk about we bought this amount, this number of pounds of coffee from coffee farmers. But I really want them to understand how we're reinvesting in the business, how much money we make, the financial impact of various decisions. I just think it will help our employees feel even more invested and involved in the company. I think so. And it's funny. Um, I ran a company and for a long time we didn't share information and we felt like maybe it was, I don't know, greedy to say how much money you were making. But then we missed the whole part of, well, then how do we reinvest and how do we have healthcare benefits and what kind of things are we doing in return? And when we got more into full disclosure, it seemed just like everybody valued, you know, when they were going to throw away that piece of paper instead of writing on the back and reusing it, like dumb stuff like that, or, um, you know, how they were going to ship something instead of just like, oh, we're just going to send this first class, you know, they might think, well, maybe standard class would be more efficient. And they just seemed like they cared more in the overall investment of what we were putting back into the business, all of us, time, sweat, equity, money, the whole thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you asked me earlier about why in such a competitive landscape, I'd be interested in in buying Peace Cafe and attaching my future to this company. And a lot of it is that I really believe in the model that we started. And I believe in carrying this work forward. And I'm not scared by competition. Everybody has competition. Um, And 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 open book management goes goes to that in a way, um, because, you know, the thing is, if I sit around and think about it. It's I've got 60 staff members who are giving me such a huge part of their life. Yep. Right. They're working 20, 30, 40 hours a week, 50, 60 hours a week. And, you know, if I'm going to take that seriously and honor their time, they deserve information about the business, right? Yeah. I mean, that that that's just, in my mind, respect and honoring their commitment. Um, when you talk about growth, like I was noticing, I read an article, I think, that said that you guys have grown 10% every year. And that seems pretty conservative and consistent and mm-hmm. um, doable, I guess. What is the decision that has happened that has made you go into actual retail locations? Because that seems a little bit of a different business model. Sure. No, it's a totally different business. Yeah. yeah. And is that something yep. you're excited about or like, oh, this feels like right about where we're at? Yeah. Yep. It's really interesting because that 10% number that we use all the time, and this this is the way we think, 10% is how much more coffee we sell every year. It's not necessarily revenue growth or profitability or anything like that. Um, And that's just like because we're so focused on the farmers. Yeah. We're so focused on the more coffee we buy, the the more coffee these farmers are able to sell to us. And that's a good thing. Therefore, we're successful. Yeah. You could be managing other ends of that business in a not successful way. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, we are consistently profitable. Um, the, The retail location decision was really because we're such an old company. So anytime a brand has been around for, I mean, in our case, it's over 20 years. um, At some point in time, you have to kind of look at where the industry is going and adapt Mm -hmm. to, um, to stay current. And what we wanted to do, the reason why we went into retail is for a couple, a few different reasons. Um, Number one, 
us being a uh, operator of retail coffee shops makes us a better wholesale partner for the coffee shops that we service. So now we really intimately understand that business. We're able to train people's baristas. We're able to help them think through drink menus. We're able to help them think through flow when their baristas are working behind the bar. Um, So so it's made us a really great provider. We we teach classes. um, We'll go on site and we'll we'll work directly in other people's coffee shops. So that was one reason. The other reason was to get the expertise and understand how to best brew and prepare our coffee. So it's really just enhanced our ability to be a wholesaler um, because we now have this retail business that we're able to learn from. And it's sort of like a lot of people sit in here and they start out at farmer's markets and they work with them themselves because they get feedback right from the customers firsthand. Yes, absolutely. So now we're placing those drinks in customers' hands. We're able to understand what people like to drink. Yep. We're able to understand, you know, overall the specialty coffee experience in a way that we just weren't able to understand it before. And it helps us really say, you know, we're a Minnesota company. We're a Minneapolis company. Yep. That's why we have retail locations here. Our, our vision for growth is not to open retail locations in Chicago or anything like that. This so they're is, almost like labs. Yeah, they are like labs. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. And they're community building spaces for us. We are a very community minded company um, and and we love creating community. So it's also a way for us to to extend that joy and that love of that uh, into neighborhoods. Community room off of the Minnehaha location yeah. where people can rent it for like book clubs and yeah. that sort of thing. Yep. Um, when you look at retail, do you think like would you ever open a place in St. Paul or is it like we've got our labs, we're getting the information that we need? Oh, no. I, I think we will continue to open a small number of additional coffee shops. There's, um, you know, you, you have these things that are always on your list when you're running a business, like got to get to that. Yep. And one of them is really, what is our retail strategy? Um, it's always in the kind of let, let's look at that um, pile of things. So we don't have a strategy right now, but it's such a thoughtfully designed store and brand. And really, I feel like helped me as a peace coffee consumer get more invested in the lifestyle of your company and your brand. Until you sat here, it never really occurred to me that in some ways it's a giant marketing opportunity too. Oh. Or marketing expense, uh, it's, as it, it were. It, it's um it's a way for us to yeah, to introduce people to our brand in a different way. Yep. That's the reason why we have a coffee shop downtown in Capella Tower. We have two, we have a ground floor and a skyway yep. level. And it's really an opportunity for us just to to get people to encounter our brand in, in new and different ways. Are you excited at all about like coffee trucks or the mobile movement? Yeah, of coffee? We, yeah, I think that that's really exciting. And again, it's another way to get our brand in front of people, right? Another way to have people say, oh, and and for so many years, our strategy, our, our we were grassroots marketing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- so for so many years, our strategy was just get in front of people and give them a coffee, get them to taste it and start talking to them about it. Um, and, and you know, mobile provides us with an opportunity to to sell our coffee at events and things like that. We had the opportunity to, to do a pop up and sell coffee when the Ryder Cup uh-huh. was in town. And that was really great for us, um, you know, just getting to be out there and talking to different people. But yeah, as a food entrepreneur, the more people that you and your staff can talk to and learn from and expose to your brand, the better. Okay, so I have to ask, you've bought this company, you have this mission, you're obviously looking towards improving your company and creating more economies of scale and doing good. Can you take this same thing and maybe like, can you do it with pastries or 
Pop-Tarts or whatever the like product might be that you could bring into the coffee shop environment and replicate? Um, like even just catering, maybe. Or- yeah, yeah. You know, we always think about what's, is it, is it, are we, you know, going to continue to grow our wholesale business yep. and focus on new markets? Are we going to um, grow our retail business? Are we going to diversify into other products? I mean, there's other companies and, and the farmers that we work with grow other grow other I, products. I noticed on the website you have a lot of recipes actually for yeah. coffee, which I appreciate. And yeah. you do classes, which that sounds really dumb to take a class on how no, to make coffee. It's but not it's dumb at all. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a great class. Yeah. And it's, I think it was like twenty five bucks. It's a really low price point. At least it was when we talked about it on our radio show a couple yeah. weeks ago or a couple of years ago. Um tea seems to be like right. an area that Right. be sort of in the same philosophy. Yeah. Yep. There's there's tea. You know, farmers that we work with have um, some amazing chocolate products. I and, thought about yeah, that too. Yeah. The, um, there's, there's tea that, that's generally grown in other parts of the world. Um, but we see a lot of honey coming mm-hmm. out of areas where, where coffee's grown. Um, and, and, you know, there's nuts. There's, there, there are other products that we could get into. It's, you know, most likely it would be something like um, a cocoa or something like that because there is some really good chocolate being grown. Um, I'm going to um, Peru in a few weeks and going to be visiting with a co-op that has an amazing chocolate product that that they're selling and an amazing cocoa that they're selling as well. So that's one of the downsides of your job. You have to go to all these gloriously lovely farms in third world countries that are beautiful and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um the this community in particular is 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 beautiful. Um it's in the Amazon rainforest basin, so I have to cross the Andes. Um and then you you get to this community that is very remote um and also just like stunningly beautiful. Um I will tell you and this will make everyone think that I have the job that they all want. Sure. But I did actually get to ride a motorcycle through pineapple fields as the sunset in the Amazon rainforest basin on one of these trips. So, um, by myself. Wow. So, um, yes. What is that movie, uh, that have you, okay. This motorcycle diaries. Have you ever seen seen it? I haven't seen it. Okay. People, this is like, uh, it's the love story. It's of, of, uh, Che Guevara and how he learned about socialism and what became important to him. And they end up riding motorcycle through South America. And then they end up in a leper colony and they're young, just um, very hopeful men and they just this tour changes them and it sets the course for his political future. It's just a beautiful movie. And, you know, it's just it reminds me of that story. Yeah, it was it it was a really it was a cool moment for me. Um, And it's the part of one thing that I really love about my job is now that I've been doing this for 12 years, I mean, these folks are friends of mine, right? Yeah. You don't do business with somebody for 12 years and not learn about their families and go yeah. into their homes and, and you know, get to share food with them and have them, you know, expose you to all kinds of different things. And then, of course, people come here and visit us and, you know, we see people at conferences and things like that. So it, it is a really cool thing to um, get to, to see all these communities and know all these people. And there's things about it that are stunningly beautiful. And there's things about it where you just realize, wow, these people, you know, are still really struggling. And there's there's a very harsh reality to it as well. Yeah. And I guess that just seems like if you can 
Most people don't get the glimpse of what it's like to really make an impact in someone's daily living and their livelihood and their life skills and their future prospects. I mean, you really get to see that what you purchase and what you resell makes a huge difference in someone's family. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I I, I have a really, really clear story um, that shows just the trajectory. Mm-hmm. So the first time I went to Guatemala with Peace Coffee was in 2008. And the really exciting thing that the community had to show me was that they had gotten electricity up to where the offices were. Um, and so there was this single light bulb yeah. and, and this um, electric roaster that they were able to show me. Um, fast forward to this year and the woman who buys all of our green coffee just went down there and they have greenhouses and they're testing different varietals and they're having coffee buyers come down and taste all these different varietals because they're trying to figure out with a change in climate, climate change, which varietals they're ne- going to need to plant moving forward and how they taste. Now, you say, OK, over a decade, this community went from we got electricity to we're a complicated agribusiness, yeah. right? We're running a complicated business and, and we're, we're, we're breeding varietals and doing trials and research. And, you know, that that is just a huge sign of progress. And that's an amazing story. And I don't know if it gets much better than that, Lee. So we're going to end on that story. Um, Peace Coffee, buy it. You can find it all over. You can find it in Beans. You can find it at the retail locations, both in Beans and also as a grab and go cup of coffee. And a lot of the stores have pump containers, so you can um, help yourself that way, too. And just know that when you're purchasing Peace Coffee that you're doing something more than just drinking a cup of coffee or helping someone out. What a great story. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much.